Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. And today we're talking about failure. Wee! It feels appropriate for a show for women over 40, right? Very, very appropriate for a show for women over 40 because at this point in our lives, we've probably all had some failure interdispersed with our successes. The failure is what we harp on, I think, and that's a common human trait. Um, I looked up some famous women who failed before they succeeded, uh, and big names that I saw were J.K. Rowling, Oprah, Vera Wang, Ariana Huffington. J.K. Rowling apparently was a struggling single mother on welfare and was rejected 12 times for the first Harry Potter book, which was baffling. Yeah, it really is. And I found this quote from her, which I thought was pretty on point. Some failure in life is inevitable. It's impossible to live without failing at something, unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Definitely. So tell me about your relationship with failure. So for 10 years, I edited a magazine called Lucky, which was a magazine about shopping that was launched by Condé Nast and became very successful and then was hit by the market downturn of 2008 very badly. And by 2010, I was fired. I had known things weren't going especially well. I knew that for our September issue, which is the big bellwether for the year, as far as how you're doing with ad pages, we were behind and every other women's magazine was up for the first time since the market had turned. And I would see other fashion magazines come to my apartment and into my office and they were all fatter than ours. And I wasn't, you know, I knew something was up. However, nobody ever spoke to me about it. I was never oh, really? taken aside by a boss and told, you know, we're really concerned about your performance. Maybe you need to focus more on X. Maybe you need to do Y. There was never anything like that. I simply received a phone call, or my assistant did, 
one late one afternoon, right after Labor Day, telling me to come in and see my boss the next day. And when I asked my assistant if he said what the meeting was about, she said no. And I said, did you ask? And she said yes. And I was like, okay, that can't be good. Oh, really? So you had a feeling? I had a feeling, but I talked to my managing editor, and we somehow convinced ourselves it was about something else. And then that morning, the meeting was like at 10 a.m., and that morning I was on the phone with a cousin. It was Rosh Hashanah, and I was going to see him that night. And it just hit me. Like, I'm about to go upstairs and get fired. That's what's that's what's about to happen. It just totally came to me. Wow. You are crazy if you think it's anything but that. And I walked upstairs. I walked into my boss's office. He closed the door. And when he closed the door, I knew that beyond a doubt that that was it. Hmm. Um, and he told me they were making a change. And that conversation was pretty quick. And the next day it was, you know, within hours, it was it was in the news. The Times called almost immediately. They heard about it and they wrote a piece about it the next day. And it felt very, very public. And mm -hmm. I had never had a failure like that. I had only had success in my career. And to have my first failure be something that was visible to anybody who was interested was was not ideal. It <laughs> sounds like an understatement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now talking about it? I feel fine talking about it. I mean, even the day that it happened, which was a very rough day, I knew that this was for the best. I knew that my time that my time at Lucky had been rocky, that even though I might have been good initially at putting out a magazine about shopping, that I was not cut out to be an editor-in-chief at Condé Nast. It just wasn't in my DNA. And the longer I spent straining to fit that mold, the worse it affected me physically, emotionally. And I had migraines almost every day. And I knew when I got fired that the migraines could, would go away, which they did. And I got back in touch with myself as a writer. And that was a really exciting thing to do. I felt like I had sort of descended into hackdom, just <laughs> editing. And, and, and it was really wonderful to be like, oh, yeah, I can still write. This is, this is something I can still do. Hmm. And my life on a day-to-day -day basis is so much better since that happened um, mm -hmm. that it's it's hard to even quantify. But um, I, I do have feelings about never reaching that level of success again, which I feel fairly certain I won't. You know, and I know it's it's monetary success and it's sort of like success in the eyes of others when I have my other successes I should focus on. But it's it's mm -hmm. hard. When your book comes out, you will reach another level of success. Yes. <laughs> For me, I had my biggest and most painful professional failure last year, um, which is kind of the thing that set this podcast in motion. But I used to have this documentary podcast called First Day Back, where I followed people after they had a big life setback. And it was financed by one of the biggest podcast networks around. And it was written up in Vulture as one of the best podcasts of the year. And it was profiled in The New Yorker. And after the third season, um, the executive producer told me that they weren't going to renew it for a fourth season. Um, actually, what she said is, we're not going to do it for now. Oh, that <laughs> was such like, a cop out. I know. I was like, um, I think you mean forever. What was really hard about it was that a lot of things hadn't been working for the last season, and I had felt like I was going to 
break up with them. Like it was like the boyfriend who broke up with me before mm-hmm. I was going to break up with him. And I was like, wait a minute, I was going to break <laughs> up with you. You just got there first. I was so pissed. Um, and for me, I mean, like I had access to seeing the numbers. And so that I knew that season two had been really, really great. And season three, the audience numbers just weren't the same as they were in season two. And that was partially also the market. Everything with podcasting has exploded. Um, so it stopped being viable. And after that happened, I fell into a funk for like three months where I was just lying on the couch refreshing my email. And <laughs> I couldn't, I felt like, okay, this is it. Nobody's ever going to email me again. I was like refreshing my email and it was just the J. Crew newsletter every two minutes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's really hard. It's hard to feel like something's going to come next in exactly. the aftermath of that. Exactly, because you're you're not there yet. You're not at the next thing yet. So you're thinking that that's just it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my producer, who I love dearly, went on to a much bigger and better job afterwards. Um, and I was like really, honestly, very happy for him. But it also highlighted to me that I can't really apply for those jobs right now. Most of them are in New York. I'm not gonna pick up and move my whole family. The job that he took was the kind of job where, like, you had to work, like, 15, 16-hour days. I'm not at a point in my life where I can do that. Um, So that was kind of hard as well. Yeah. It also feels really terrifying to say this stuff out loud because I feel like, I mean, you're at a point where it's much further in the past and I'm at a point where people who know me and who didn't really know this story will possibly listen to this. Well, it feels like, I mean, this is an obnoxious way to put it, but it feels like you're advertising your loserdom. Like, I feel that way a little, even talking about it 10 years ago in the past. Like, okay, I was fired, you know. (laughs) But it happens to everyone. There's nobody who isn't touched by failure after a certain stage in life. It just, it's a fact of life. Yeah. That makes me feel better. Um, so today, we're, well, we're going to be talking to Lauren Ober, uh, and she's the host of the podcast Spectacular Failures, which is a show about some of the biggest business failures of our time. Lauren is also pretty familiar with personal failure. I met her a few years ago before she was hosting that show. Um, she was hosting a show at the time called The Big Listen, which was a podcast, and eventually it was a national show. And it was canceled, too, like my show. And she had all kinds of work upheavals prior to that. Uh, in fact, when she was talking to me about getting hired for Spectacular Failures, when they called her, they didn't have a title for the show yet. Um, and then she was hired and she found out the show is going to be called Spectacular Failures. And she was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thanks. Yeah, it feels it feels like your show has been a runaway hit. Like, basically, people really want to hear about failure. <laughs> I think there is some cachet to talking about failure or or sort of owning failure. I don't know if my show is a runaway hit, but I think people are interested in uh, in collapses and fails and foibles. And, you know, there's some sort of, you know, schadenfreude in 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 the whole endeavor of, of failure and failure stories. So tell us what is working on a show about failure taught you about it um, that particularly in business, you know, the 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 folks responsible for failure are very infrequently held to account for that failure. And that's a bummer, you know, because <laughs> because it's like, well, it's not the workers' fault and it's not the shareholders' fault. It's your fault. 
Well, I don't know if either of you read in Vanity Fair, there was an enormously long piece about WeWork and their failed mm-hmm. idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. That was right. so fascinating. For people who might not know about WeWork, who are they again? Well, WeWork is is a company that started, I don't know, right around the time of the economic downturn, actually, I think. And they do co-working offices. And if you're in any major city in the United States, you probably are familiar with them. And the CEO of WeWork who's, and founder, who sounded like such a piece of work, yes. um, said, Basically. among other things, that in 300 years, his heirs would be running the company. <laughs> um, he walked away. He walked away with a billion dollars. Sure. Wow. Sure. The golden parachute uh, it very much exists. And um, because the, the world of big business and capitalism doesn't work in the way that our world, you know, the people who walk on the ground, it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, I mean, if you lose everything for your family, you know, you're you're out on the street. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you lose everything for your company, you're they're like, well... Okay, thank you for your service. Here's a billion dollars. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, it really is shocking and gross. Um, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really. Yes, is. that's one way of putting it. Also, you know, there's the failing up. Kim, you mentioned that idea to me. Failing up. Failing I've never up. Even heard that. Failing up is when somebody has a position. They're not especially distinguished. They don't distinguish themselves in the job, and yet somehow they manage to parlay the success they have with greater success and newer jobs, better jobs. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, I watched a lot and have have continued to see in, in my world. There were certain editors and magazines who became editors-in-chief, did a really, you know, average job. None of their numbers improved and went on to get other jobs. I think that when you fail up, you're also very good at managing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. So managing up, meaning you, how you work with the your bosses. superiors. Right. Right. So that's I think kind that... of all about managing the relationships and failing up is like they look at somebody and they say, well, this person did an OK job and they're just the right look for our company. Like what? I don't. Yes, even... I think it is. They know how to play the game. You know, okay. and one of the things that I learned at Lucky, because Lucky was a different kind of magazine than had existed before. And one of the things I learned at Condé Nast is you can break the rules, but you must always, always, always play the game. And people who manage up know how to play the game. That's exactly right. right. That is that is exactly right. I mean, I think that you know, there's been research that people would rather work with somebody who was nice and agreeable um, and less competent than somebody who was extremely competent but was not, you know, but, but was prickly. And and people will excuse whatever failings, you know, you have in any number of ways because, you know, you're agreeable. Um, and some people find it hard to be agreeable all the time. I'm one of those people. Well, some of the great <laughs> bosses or some of the my some of my best bosses have been some of the craziest assholes. Right. But just the people who I've actually learned from were the people who were the least flexible in some ways and the most critical. Right. Um, but who I really learned an enormous amount from. I wonder it, for you, can I ask a question? Is of that all course. Right? Uh, I'm wondering um, at, you know, the levels that you worked at, Kim, if you saw that women were held to a different standard with regard to, you know, your your attitude and your friendliness and your, you know, how you interacted with uh, superiors and all of that. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because the thing about the magazine industry and fashion magazines in particular is that for years before women had power positions at other types of magazines, they were running fashion magazines. Right. So there were always a lot of women in positions of power. However, the people at the tippy top were men, always. Mm. And um, I do think that there was a lot of pressure, and I failed in this respect in a big way, to be agreeable to, you know, like I said, manage up to even in a way flirt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not not with an end, not with anything in mind, but just to flatter. It was about flattering. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it came into play always with advertisers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And right. I was I was no good at that type of thing. Chatting up advertisers, I got a D minus on. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me a really long time to learn that there is a game and that you need to play it. Um, which is weird because I was an athlete in college. Like I played uh, <laughs> Division One sport. I I clearly, you know, I knew about uh, teamwork and rules and all of that stuff and training. And but I, I felt like maybe it was because the goals were always murkier when you got into business because my goals are different than the advertisers' goals are different than the editor in chief's roles like goals. They're just they're just sort of different. And and maybe it's you know as I've aged and mellowed i i sort of know what kinds of what how you, how you need to grease the skids and that everybody kind of has a um you know a different motivation um and and not everybody's motivation is going to be like we're going to make the best thing ever all the time forever you know and it's, it's hard to realize that i think sometimes all right let's just take a break here for some ads when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. 
I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 percent off. Okay, back to our conversation with Lauren Ober. Do you guys think failure is sometimes a question of framing as well? Because like Kim, the one thing that I always strikes me is that I think about your time at Lucky as a success in that you did it. Like, and for most of the time that you were there, it was probably, there were many years of it being successful. Yeah, it was. You see it as a failure just because you're focusing on the end kind of thing. And for a lot of people, like they don't, they're not thinking about that part of it. They're thinking about the fact that you did it and it existed. Yeah. In New York, they're thinking about the fact that I failed. <laughs> I really think. <laughs> um, but no, it's true. Lucky was the most successful launch in Condé Nast history. It turned a profit past faster than any magazine Condé Nast had ever launched. And mm -hmm. that was a big success. My, you know, and that's a whole other episode, like dealing with success <laughs> and, 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 and allowing yourself to feel happy about that. I think that um, right. failure feels more like my water level, even though my, my career had always gone well previous to that. But I think the reason why the failure stings is because some of the reasons I got fired, I don't blame them for. I feel mm. like they were, I, I had fallen down on the job. As my older brother said to me, you were daring them to fire you. Mm. What do you mean exactly? Well, I think, you know, the, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I think the magazine had a formula. We stuck to the formula too much. Mm. I didn't grow the magazine in the ways that I should have. I was really, I think it was a good thing. I was pretty obsessed with what the readers thought, the reader experience of the magazine. And, and that was not considered a good thing by management. Oh, that's bizarre because that sounds really like the right thing to be focused on. Yeah, but you got to care about the advertisers and you've got to care about the Cirque and you've got to, you know, right, there are all right. these other things. And I also, I um, I didn't go to fashion shows. I hated fashion shows and I had terrible migraines, which kept me from going to them in addition to hating them. Um, <laughs> oh and that was another, gosh. you know, you got to be there in the front row representing at the fashion shows. If that's your game, you've got to play it. Anna Wintour proves that. She's always there. <laughs> She's yeah. always there. Or a hologram of her is there. We don't know. <laughs> I think she's, I've actually stood very close to her. I'm not sure she's not a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great that you're able to sort of recognize where where there was some fault. I think that's a really important part of, of failure is to be able to assess your you know, what you, what you are responsible for. Um, unless it is sort of, 
abjectly not your fault. You know, like that's that that demonstrably you did nothing wrong. And there are certainly those cases. But I think when you're sitting at the top of a show or a magazine or something, a movie, and it and it flops, you know, there's some responsibility there a little bit. I mean, it's a team effort, certainly. And it's, you know, one person cannot make a magazine or cannot make a show. Like, I, But uh, you know what I'm but saying? It, it's like it's, yeah, a, it's but, a team effort. But if you were at the top, like the buck stops with you and there is something where and I think it's the sort of dignified thing to do <laughs> to say, yeah, it's it's I've I did this and I did this and I could have done this. And, you know, rather than. It, Blame yeah. everyone else. Well, it's I not think... only dignified, but when you talk about like wanting to learn from your failures, it's kind of the only way is to take stock of like, okay, what did I do right and what did I do wrong? That's the only way to, to take something from the experience and to be able to move past it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Right. But also not beat yourself up over it because no, it's no. like, all right, well, yeah, I could have done this. Like there are a million things in a day that I could have done better. No, for it's, sure. It's for re- sure. it's really great to have like twenty twenty hindsight, but it's like, well, maybe if that hadn't happened, then you didn't get to do this other thing. And I mean, I'm a bright sider, like I'm a very much a closet optimist. Like, don't tell anyone, but I do sort of bright side things, not outwardly to people. Like, I don't want to be that person who's like, everything's fine, it's great, you know. But in my own mind, I'm like, every yes, it has to work out. Like, it will work out, or you know. Um, and maybe that's just the sort of fuel that, that, that keeps the little train going. So I like, I'm a closet bright sider. <laughs> see, I'm not, I am so not, I see, I, I am always like, I am, I am a half empty in the biggest way. I think that, you know, I'm a half empty walking around disguised as a half full. <laughs> Are you Jewish? Aww. I'm very Jewish. Yes. <laughs> Extremely. Kim, it's not your fault. But that is, but that, but, but, but that, but that is your birthright. So it's true. I would be, I would be weirded out if, if it was otherwise. Well, Well, you hide it very well because I haven't really thought of you that way. Oh, well, I think maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's a standard that you only apply to yourself. Well, I think I do. I'm very critical of myself. I'm very, you know, at the same time, I think I've, I've acknowledged what I've achieved. Um, you know, since since Lucky, I've taken a, my career has taken a path that has been much quieter. It's you know not nearly as lucrative, but my life is a better life. At the same time, I don't think I would have been satisfied in life if I hadn't achieved something on the level of Lucky. Having done it, I don't feel the need to ever do something like that again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like running a marathon, right? People are like, great that I did it. Never want to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it feels. And I also, going through, like, I went through, in the period of time that I was the editor of Lucky, I had a um, serious depression, cancer, mm. divorce, Ooh. Oh. Mm. Um, a breakdown. Mm-hmm. I don't think those things were unrelated. <laughs> I mean, that job was not healthy for you, Kim. It wasn't healthy for me. And I, you know, and I was like unbelievably thin and, Mm -hmm. you know, a chain smoker smoking in. Mm -hmm. We had private bathrooms. That was one of the wonderful things about being an editor in chief at Condé Nast is you had your own bathroom in your office. And it was really well ventilated. And so I would just sit in there and smoke. You're like a high school kid. I love it. It was. in the bathroom. Well, I imagine that there was enormous pressure uh, working in a fashion publication or, a you know, 
that focused on retail and and be the representative of you know like to be the aspirational leader of the publication you know you can't mm-hmm. you can't roll up in sweats every day with your hair in rat's nest like you got to present and i'm mm-hmm. sure that's mm-hmm. very stressful very mm-hmm. stressful it was super stressful and i and i wasn't that great at it like i we had a, a meeting once a month called print order and that was when you showed the big bosses every page of the magazine page by page the other female editors in chief in the building would get hair and makeup done before print order oh, shut wow. up hair and makeup Every time. Wow. And that is insane. I would roll up and say to my executive <laughs> editor, like, do I have any stains on anything I'm wearing? <laughs> Am I, okay I love for you, this? Kim. I love you. I, that is incredible. I love You're that. You're the best. <laughs> but, you know, that is part of why I got fired, too. You know, I didn't, right. I didn't, you know, how I didn't. Because you're a normal role. human. <laughs> I like to think I stayed normal. I would like yeah. to think right. that. Gosh, yeah. that is really tough. But then, you know, but then you created a life that worked better for you on all kinds of levels. Yeah. I mean, I'm a ghost in the world I used to formerly inhabit. But mm-hmm. um, and if I if I thought about it that way, I think I would be very upset. It you mm-hmm. know, the failures that mean more to me, like my failure to become a mother. I'm 55. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That is painful. That's mm-hmm. the one that I that I will never have resolution with and that mm-hmm. I can't learn anything from, you know, mm-hmm. really. I mean, that's that's the one that that that, that like lurks out there. Mm-hmm. That's um, I'm I'm trying to think Cheryl Strayed wrote about this, actually, and it's a really lovely quote about not having kids. Do you mind if I look it up? No, no. go uh, for it. Sorry. I, you, I use it all the time because I'm 41. I don't have kids. And it is a it is like a pain point, but not because I was like, I desperately want to be a parent. But I was like, you know what? You realize once your friends have kids, you're like, oh, this is why people had kids. And then you're like those there are very particular feelings that you will never experience in your entire life because you didn't have children. Um, now, you, mean you oh, see yeah, people so- with their kids and the ex- can you explain that again? There, there, are, yeah, there are ways that um, there are feelings. There's, a, there's a, there's a parental type of love that you will never experience. You, right. you might be on the receiving end of it, but you will never be on the giving end of it. Um, and, and there are ways that you know, there's a pride that you know, even if your child isn't like the ace student and in all the school plays and the best kid on the track team, like, like you still have pride in your child just having a child. I mean, I imagine. And so, like, there are things like that that you don't experience. And mm-hmm. and I often think about that. I don't think of it as a failure necessarily because it wasn't something that I was trying to do. But it's one of those things that by sort of not making a decision, I've kind of made a decision and um, and that doesn't feel amazing. And so I've tr- been trying to sort of come to my own peace around that. But I did find the quote. If it, I, I quite like this. And this is Cheryl. Sh- I can never say her name. Cheryl Strayed. It's a little bit uh, of a tongue be- twister. Yeah, tiny beautiful things, uh, advice on life, uh, advice on love and life from Dear Sugar. She wrote, I'll never know, and neither will you, of the life you don't choose. We'll only know that whatever that sister life was, it was important and beautiful and not ours. It was the ghost ship that didn't carry us. There's nothing to do but salute it from the shore. And I really like that idea of, like, that is a different life. That is an equally good life. My life is good. 
it might not mean anything to anybody else, but I, I try to think about that. And I think about it in also like in work ways. Like, okay, well, that path wasn't mine and that path wasn't mine. And I'm just like, those paths might be great, but they're not the path that I'm on. I, I think you know? that's exactly right. And I mean, the way I think of it, I was once um, in an AA meeting, to be honest. And um, mm-hmm. I heard a guy talking about things that were going on with him. And he said a sponsor once said to him, don't mourn the life you didn't get. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think yeah. about it all the fucking time. Those are like my yeah. words to live by. And, and and they brought me such freedom when I heard when yeah. I heard that guy say that. It's like, oh, that's what I've been doing. And of course, there's mm-hmm. great dissonance if you do that. And you're not going to be very happy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. that. You know, when you mentioned feeling sort of like a ghost um, in your industry, after I the the few times that I you know I I lost my radio hosting job, I um I felt like I had evaporated into the ether. Like yeah. I truly felt like I had um sort of decomposed and was just sort of in the mist somewhere, and that I somehow did not exist, I had to come to this feeling for myself, for this understanding that I am not my job. And it's very hard because I really, I am a worker. I'm a workhorse. Like I have always been a good worker. I pride myself on it. I enjoy work. Um, But also that to remind myself that that is not why I have friends. That is not why I have people around me who love me. It's not because I host a show or because I can turn a clever phrase, you know, on the page. I mean, all these things as they're coming out of my mouth sound so Pollyanna-ish. Like, everyone just loves you for you, you know? But it actually is true in that, like... You know, if if I stop being a professional writer, I stop being a professional podcaster, like not a one of my my actual friends and the actual people who love me um, will be like, yeah, no, we're good. Like, we don't we don't need to hang out with you anymore. And again, I mean, these are not revelations, but they're they're things that help me. Um, sort of remember, you know, you sort of remember your place in in your community, and and I have a work community, and that's fine. But but I think the the one that fills me up more um, is the social and familial community that I have. No, for so. sure. After after first day back was canceled, that was the only thing that I was able to turn to was thinking. Okay, there are. I'm not my job. I'm not because I relate so much to what you're saying, Lauren, because I'm such a worker bee. And Mm -hmm. even though I have kids, like it's it's so big in my life, the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, There are all these people on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, like they'll have mom in their bio. And I'm just not that person (laughs) because it doesn't feel like it's my identity. Like I have kids. I love my kids, obviously. Like, but it's not I don't walk around the world feeling like a mom. I walk around the world feeling more like my career is my identity. And Mm -hmm. so when that thing ended, it was just, that was when I had to turn to like pivot my brain to my relationships and thinking, okay, these people love me and care about me, not because of the work that I do. Right. Yeah. It might be harder also in, I mean, New York is, is an unforgiving place more. So I feel like in other places, I mean, DC is cutthroat, but only if you're on the Hill really. Um, Mm. And so maybe Kim, that wasn't your experience because maybe so much of your, you know, your work and personal life were, were enmeshed. And so much of what you had to do was like 
social stuff and Definitely. maybe it did feel like a complete collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's not inaccurate. However, I I so dislike doing so much of the social part. I mean, during the the day that I got fired, they told me I could take till the rest of the week to get out of the building and I was like, "No problem, I will be out by the end of the day." And the right. rest of that day is it was like an Amish bon- barn burning in reverse. Like a few people who worked on staff just <laughs> helped me dismantle my office all day long. And all day long I'd keep thinking about like a bing, another thing I don't have to worry about anymore. This event I don't have to go to anymore. And it was just, like, so amazing. You know, there was also, (laughs) bing, Cobra will run out eventually. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, just buy an apartment. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I bought a place when I didn't have a job. I, it was mm-hmm. the only time I was like, well, I'm never going to be be able to get a mortgage as a freelancer. And I still had like two months left on my contract. And I was like, well, it's kind of now or never because I have no idea when I'm ever going to get a real job. And I remember, you know, talking to my physical therapist of all people. I was like, I don't know if I should do this. Like, this seems really scary. Like, I don't have a job. And how should I buy? How can I buy a house? And she was like, Sometimes that's the way things happen, and you just got to do it. And I was like, yes, physical therapist. That's exactly <laughs> right. You're totally right. I'm going to buy the house because my physical therapist told me to. You know? <laughs> so ridiculous. But like you're, but in those times, you're looking for guidance and inspiration wherever it turns and you know wherever it pops up. And I'm just like, yes, exactly what mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. said. You know, mm-hmm. Where are the papers? Where do I sign? You said something to me on the phone, Lauren, that I thought was interesting. You mentioned the idea of having PTSD from failure. How do you think that works? I think that, um, you know, of course it stays with you. Um, Yeah, I guess it's the idea of being gun shy after, like for the next time. Yeah, I think that I think it's something that you have to fight against. I think about actors a lot. I feel like actors are a really good model for how to deal with failure because particularly when they're starting off, you know, they're going to casting call, they're going open casting and they're doing all this stuff and it's just demoralizing, demoralizing, demoralizing. And then, you know, somebody is lucky enough to get a couple of roles and, you know, maybe they book a pilot and then the pilot gets picked up and then it's immediately canceled. And it's like, well... It doesn't mean my acting career is over. Um, and mm-hmm. for some people, I mean, I guess it separates the wheat from the chaff in some way um, in that the people who are who have that resilience or who aren't, you know, who are too stupid to quit. <laughs> sometimes I think that's my I say all the time, like, why am I in journalism? Why am I even doing this? This is so hard. It's volatile. Like, why didn't I become a CPA? You know, and it's like, well, because you are not suited for that life. <laughs> you are suited for this life for some, I know. It's some like reason. What? I, why do I put myself in a situation where rejection is so such a frequent part of my life? Totally. I cannot speak enough about the importance of resilience and how I feel like that is make or break for people. That, And I see it all the time, particularly, I'm sorry to say in men, um, but <laughs> there are a lot of you know, men who are very privileged and who have never had to deal with disappointment. And the one time they do, it's like, my life is over. Like, <laughs> and it's like, if you, ugh, if you were a woman, <laughs> you wouldn't be saying this because oh, you'd totally. have to like take care of you, all the people, you know, mm-hmm. having those reserves of, of resilience are the thing that have helped me out a lot. Cause I, I mean, I was pedaling, I was pedaling over here on my bike. And I was like, well, there's a really good possibility that I don't get a third season for my show. 
And then what do I do? And I haven't even started the second season yet. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's there and it's always it's always sort of, you know, the undercurrent in the background happening and I I guess it's just ignoring, you know, the the memory of how shitty it feels to fail. Yeah, yeah. no, every time that I've failed at love, I've thought that's it. This is the last time I even try. Mhm. You know, but- how's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm never doing this again. And then, like, somebody walks in, you're like, okay, well, just this one more time. Just this one time. <laughs> one thing I we didn't talk about, but I was thinking that you might touch on is how maybe possibly if failure gets easier as you get older. I think so. Oh, I didn't think so. I- well, because you have more, you just have more to look back on and more, more sort of um, material to more perspective. You mean to say, like, yes. okay, this wasn't such a big deal. I've bounced back before. I'll bounce back again. Yes, perspective was the word I was looking for, not material. <laughs> but I, right. but sort of material, sort of like you know, life material. Yeah, life like material. it. Yeah, definitely it's all the thing around I think me. About. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I keep coming back to this expression that people just everything is like I give less fucks, and so. A lot of times that means like I know what matters and I know what doesn't. I know my family matters, let's say, and not this job or yeah, it's perspective. Yeah. What were you going to say, Lauren? It's also just the, you know, the treadmill of the social media and being like, cool, my life doesn't look like that. Whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my my mom is a big whatever person. Like um, when I told her that I was gay, she goes, whatever. (laughs) And it's really not the best coming out story, but it's also pretty hilarious. But like. (laughs) Her feeling, she says whatever about so many things, just sort of dismissiveness, and and I've sort of adopted that. Great, you have an awesome podcast, super much, it's like way better than mine, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm like, that's why I'll never get anywhere. (laughs) No, no. Kim, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think this has been fantastic. This conversation was a (laughs) non-failure. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming to chat with us. Do you want to tell people how they can find you? Yeah, you can check out our show, Spectacular Failures, on any of the podcast players of your choice. Also, I'm on social media at Ober and Out, and our show tweets at Failure Show. Thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Everything is fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.